people sometimes think of it as unsophisticated but I think it's one of the most sophisticated art forms you can get because there's so much that you can do with it yeah. and you know I still see things when I'm reading comics that I'm like wow look at that you know jagged panels or you know yeah. speech bubbles made from the panel edges or you know there's always always something interesting hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with Sonia uh, hello Sonia hello <laughs> your name's sort of spelled differently from other Sonia's that I know which is which is cool and my niece is called Sonia so uh, oh, wow. we're saying to, to my girlfriend I'm going to record Sonia she was like haven't you already done one of her? <laughs> the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? So I've met you through Spark London. I think I first met you at the Hackney Attic open mic and you came up and asked if I had a story to tell <laughs> and I batted you away several times because right. I didn't want to tell the story that night. And yeah, then, I'm quite persistent. Yeah, yeah, you were good, you were good, but it wasn't it wasn't the night for me. And then I've met you at the Canal Cafe Theatre One and had some nice chats with you, which is really great. And I'm becoming more of a part of Spark, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so uh, hopefully I'll be getting to know you even better right, in the future. Right, <laughs> absolutely, and I think you're going to be bringing a lot of really great things to the Spark team, so I'm excited to have you on board. Yeah, the second question that I ask people is, what do you do now? That's such a hard question at the moment, and it's it seems to be changing week by week, because I left a full-time job in May that I'd been doing for seven years, and then I basically had a few months of trying different things. I wanted to get more into writing, and I've been trying lots of different kinds of writing. But then also to earn money, I've recently started to do some paid work, which is kind of mostly freelance, so I'm becoming a bit of a freelancer. Um, Exciting. It's, uh, yeah, so it's kind of changing. So the four things I do at the moment are working at my local cinema a little bit, which is great. Uh, got paid to watch Labyrinth the other day. Wow, that's good. <laughs> it was really good. And then I'm building a pie website for a company called Timmy's Pies, which is a really amazing little company. And they've been going for about three years, but they don't have a website yet, which I kind of respect. So I'm going to get them selling their pies online. And then the third thing, I'm doing some freelancing for Bloomsbury Festival, which is happening in October helping them get their brochure and print stuff together, which looks like an amazing festival. And I think for people who like spoken word, there's definitely going to be a lot going on that you'd Excellent. like. And then the fourth thing is getting involved in Spark as well. <laughs> so I've kind of got these four things at the moment, but then outside of that, I'm also trying to finish a comic. I did a graphic novel course a couple of months ago, so I'm working on this comic. I've uh, just written a piece for a literary online thing and so lots of different things going on at the moment basically. And you're also sort of experimenting with podcasting yourself aren't you? Yeah I am yeah which we had a chat about so I put my first podcast together I put out in July it's now August I really wanted to do one every month but um, yeah they take a lot of time and just doing the research and persuading people to talk to you yeah um, can be quite a long process. Right um, and you do uh, you, the kind of podcast you make as well does take a lot more time it's much more editing based it's much more kind of uh, like a magazine show putting different things together the, the beauty of doing conversations like this is in theory it's it, you grab the conversation but then I still edit them and so it does take time even though 
yeah, but, yeah. the edit takes forever <laughs> but I think what I'm learning is that anything creative you do whatever it is takes forever right. and you just have to give it that time and put the time in and I guess the fact it takes such a long time means that you do only do things that you're really passionate about and really excited about so like I love working on my comic even if I can only do like a panel in half a day right so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your comic about? Um, so I'm doing it about this photographer called Erwin Blumenfeld. He sort of grew up in Europe and was Jewish. He grew up in Germany. So when the Second World War hit, he had to get out of there. He was really into Dada and surrealism, and he brought a lot of that into his photography, so his shots are really interesting. Then he moved to New York and became really massive in fashion photography and brought all this Dada surrealist stuff into Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Uh. So he did some of the most famous Vogue covers ever that are really great but then after he died his work kind of um he'd had a few wives and mistresses and lovers and so his work was kind of scattered between different people and so he he didn't retain his famousness I guess because his work wasn't all curated and, and looked after but recently some of his grandchildren have kind of brought the estate together and been putting on exhibitions and there's been a really good documentary about him so his life story's kind of come out and it's a really interesting life story so I'm trying to tell that in comic form it also means I can draw lots of tiny little Dada images and photographs of his which is nice to draw and he has great hair as well I like drawing hair excellent <laughs> That's, that's interesting, you like drawing hair. Hair's kind of like quite a complicated thing to draw. It's, I know it's the thing that Pixar and stuff find the hardest to recreate, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think when you're just using pen and ink, you can just get these nice kind of black swoops. Yeah, it's more, rep yeah, it's more representational rather yeah. than uh, realistic, isn't it? That yeah, sort of yeah. Style, yeah. It's hands and feet that are the total bitches. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, trying to draw feet. And hands probably is what made me sort of like less inclined to carry on doing art, <laughs> I think, from primary school, yeah. Yeah, I might just position all my characters so their feet are below the edge of the panel. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you try and draw feet, they just end up looking like blobs if you draw them realistically. Right. Yeah, and like how you like get the perspective right as well, like mm. uh, that was always my problem. Your comics is sort of like in the fashion area, mm. um, and that's the job that you sort of left was in the fashion area, yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I was working for um, Tati Divine, which is an amazing jewellery company, and right. it was really my dream job working there, and that was very much in fashion, though so I guess I've always had this love of fashion, but then also a love of words as well, and more serious stuff. So I think of myself as someone who's quite fluffy, but then also quite not fluffy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, like, when, when did fashion, when did you sort of get into fashion, I guess? It's an interesting question. I think it was more maybe an interest in novelty, which is something I guess you get a lot in fashion. So I did an English degree, um, and then I worked on a local listings magazine in Leeds for a year. Then I went and did a magazine journalism course, which you'll notice is the fluffy side of journalism. And then, um, so I was writing for lots of magazines and I tended to want to write about anything that was new and like interesting, fashionable stuff happening. I was trying to write for all the style mags and stuff. And then I guess I sort of, um, well, the next thing I did was I did a cross-stitch company of my own and I cross-stitched lots of record sleeves in miniature and sold them wow. as kits. And then I just kind of got into working for a toy company, which again, I think I was going towards products and products that I thought were exciting and new. And then when I found Tatty Divine, it was, you know, it was one, Tatty Divine was one of the most exciting companies I've ever sort of come across. 
going into their little shop on Brick Lane and seeing they had this like, tree with lots of jewellery hanging off it, like wooden budgies and things, and a jigsaw puzzle necklace in the window that I thought was incredible. So it was, it, I think, more just this love of like products and design but that happened to be in the fashion area. Right. Yeah. <laughs> The, the interests you have don't quite fit with any kind of profession you have to sort of make your own uh, jobs I guess yeah. and, and kind of create creative kind of combination of, of products and art and ideas all coming together yeah I think that's a good way of putting it and a good way of thinking about it and I think it's why I feel so good about the freelancing thing because I feel like I can do lots of different things and kind of slowly move towards what I really want to do which I don't know what it is but yeah. I'm going there. <laughs> yeah, you can sort of feel it, but you don't. You can't say exactly. You can't describe it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I've I've had that feeling myself at times. Uh, I'm someone who does lots of different things that hopefully come together in some way. Uh, I always sort of say I'm a jack of all trades, hopefully a master of some of them by now. <laughs> mm. That's interesting. That's I definitely feel that like jill of all trades. And then other words that I've been grappling with are like renaissance, which sounds like right. such a pretentious thing to say. But re- the renaissance and people in the renaissance were all about having lots of different interests and lots of different skills. And then also the word polymath. Mm. Um, has come up. Also the word debutante which is more right. someone who tries lots of different things, starts them and then yeah. drops them because yeah. I've always liked trying different things and having little phases yeah, I think that's fine um, so yeah it's hard to find a word to kind of express that Well the separation and specialisation is quite a new thing anyway, like you say the Renaissance had it but I mean ancient Greece like there was no separation between scientists, artists and philosophers Mm. and so it it is a strange thing almost to specialise so much, which we do more and more I mean and I guess specialisation means you can go further into things Mm. if you're like us and do lots of things. But uh, but but I, I think yeah, it's definitely a time that that people maybe are sort of trying to sort of move back a little bit from the idea that we have to be one thing or another thing. We yeah. can be lots of different things. I should say we're recording in the, the Royal Festival Hall. If there's background sound, although it's quite quiet, it's a, it's a morning. Was it eleven o'clock uh, in the morning? We were both early, uh, yes. which is <laughs> very good for any people who want to employ us in the future there you go <laughs> and also this is the first getting better acquainted probably the last getting better acquainted where I'm conducting the interview with half of my mouth numb because I oh went no. to the dentist at nine o'clock this morning oh. and I'm sort of becoming more and more aware of the numbness of half of my mouth and I'm sort of thinking am I am I uh, giving weird communication the sort of elements because I can't feel what my, half my mouth I is. hadn't noticed anything well, that's Dave. fine <laughs> and I hope I don't, maybe um, I don't think it I don't think I sound like I've got a numb mouth, but just in case, yeah, that's a, an explanation for that. What did they do to you? Uh, I just had a, a, a filling like refilled that had broken, but I hadn't been to the dentist for over 10 years. So, uh, wow. It was quite quite needed, but luckily, actually, nothing apart from this big hole in my teeth, which I was aware about for about a year and a half anyway, apart from that, that's <laughs> all they needed to do. So there you go, uh, getting better acquainted with Dave's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, so... Graphic novels, like comics, write a drawing, I guess, as well as writing, do seem to be something that you sort of come across now anyway. Yeah. I mean, have you always drawn? Or? No, no. I've always been a huge fan of comics and graphic novels. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Oh, well, we should get quoted <laughs> about that. But yeah, I've always really loved them. And with drawing, I did like art at school, but kind of not enough that I ever thought about even pursuing it. I didn't even take it for GCSE. And then my art teacher told my parents I should, and then I thought I should do business 
case studies because that would be more useful in life. Right. Um, yeah. And maybe maybe you know, true, maybe, maybe not true. true. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. Who knows? I think you know. I've got a big interest in like, I guess, commercialism. It sounds like a bit of a cold. And, I don't know. Com- just the word commercial has got such negative connotations, right. but I think I have got an interest in the commercial side of things. I guess when we talk about commercial, you can kind of see that cynically, or you can see it as like being interested in ideas that stick, mm. the ideas that interest people, like trying to connect with people. Yeah. And that's one way you can see kind of commercialism, I guess. It doesn't have to be completely a negative con- connotation, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of hard at being into art, but then also always always bringing your commercial mind to it and thinking, like, how can we expand this? How can we make it bigger? I don't want to be like a douchebag about that. So with art, then, I, I didn't really do any drawing um, until the course recently. I remember the only other time I did drawing was when I was reading this book called Creating a Life Worth Living, which is a bit like The Artist's Way. Okay. It's about bringing more creativity into your life and, and working out what you want to do. The book suggested that for 20 minutes every day, you should do a creative activity that didn't have any meaning for you or, or w- you wouldn't want it to become productive in any way. And I picked drawing literally because I have no ambitions in that area or skills. And so every day for 20 minutes, I'd just get one sheet of paper and sit and draw. And I would mostly draw like my hand or like things around me. I did that for a few months, but other than that, I'd literally done no drawing until I did, did this course recently. And when I started the course, all my drawings were tiny because I was really not confident in my skills, so I'd make them really small because I thought they looked best that way. And then towards the end of the course, I realised I, mean, I actually have to draw bigger. So it's been a kind of learning process, but a really enjoyable one. <laughs> Just learning like how do you draw an ear, or where are eyes on people's faces, or, or how do you draw a foot? and trying these things out and hanging out with people who do draw and are artists and yeah. and their kind of preoccupations about it and the things they discuss are far more advanced than mine. But it's interesting to hear them talk about, you know, how, yeah. how you draw the sea and drawing it at different times and whether you should sit and draw it live or you should just sit in front of the sea and watch it for six hours then go home and draw it. Have you, uh, have you read Scott McLeod's comics? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The obvious ones that people probably have read, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but that, um, his one about, just, I can't remember what it's called, his big one that's all about... Yeah, there was Understanding Comics, it, that yeah. was the first one. Then there's Reinventing Comics that talks about, like, where comics can go in the kind of internet age and modern kind of world. And, and uh, then there's uh, Drawing Comics, which is, you know, much more like how, how you actually go about doing it practically, yeah. Oh, well, I think I've only read Understanding Comics, ah, well, so I really need to get the those The third one more. is probably the most pertinent for oh, you at this moment, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, I'm going to get those from the library. Yeah, or maybe it's called Making Comics, but anyway, yeah, the, the third one's actually how you do it. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And the first one, like, which you've read, I mean, that's the one that sort of breaks down what comics are and, and the width of what they are, like, that people don't really know about because all they think of is, you know, superhero comics. Mm. Did you read comics growing up then? Um, I think growing up, like I, I had a subscription to Look In, and I always had photo stories in, and I always liked photo stories and girls' magazines, and then I also liked the Beano and the Dandy right, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I would I read, read Beano, those a lot. Yeah. But then um, it wasn't until I think I was probably about twenty-one, and I had a boyfriend and his best friend, who were both kind of really important people to me. And they phoned me one day and said, we've got something for you, it's really important, you have to come round now. And wow. I was like, oh, wow, what's this? And so I went round and they handed me very ceremoniously this thing, this book, 
booklet and I had no idea what it was. Anyway, it turned out to be this very short graphic novel by Eddie Campbell oh, called right. Graffiti Kitchen. Okay, I haven't read that, but I know Eddie Campbell. He did From Hell. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, so he's he's gone on to do some massive things. So this is one right. of his early ones and he did a lot of autobiographical stuff. And so it was the first thing I'd read that was a comic and truthful, autobiographical, serious, interesting drawn in this kind of scrappy way and quite writerly I think Eddie Campbell's writing is quite literary and mm. um, he seems quite an intelligent guy and I just completely loved it there's one page where there's a kitchen and they're re-wallpapering it and so they're taking the old wallpaper off and behind the wallpaper he discovers a poem that this teenage girl has written it's this really beautiful poem and it just this moment that really grabbed me. That has sort of got me into comics and I sort of investigated all Eddie Campbell's stuff and then got into other artists and it's kind of gone from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Eddie Cam- I like Eddie Campbell a lot. I, there's a podcast called Too Much Information where I heard a, 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 a conversation with him relatively recently. You might oh, wow. Oh, thanks. It sounds like I was sort of similar. I, I liked... I read the Beano. I read my brother's like uh, X Men and Avengers and stuff like that. So I read actual superhero comics, I guess, when I was like twelve. And then I didn't really do comics. I was into sort of like more like what I considered more sophisticated art, art <laughs> forms. And then when I was like sixteen, seventeen, my friend gave me The Watchman by Alan Moore, and I like he gave me it like. At ten o'clock in the night, he came around mm. and dropped it off to me, and I like stayed up all night reading the the book and then had f- finished it by the morning because that's one of the great things I'm sure you know about comics is how quick yeah. they are to read yeah, even when they're stop. the biggest like the, w- the biggest looking book like it's so much quicker than any, any other book book of that size because we absorb pictures and words much much quicker but yeah no by, the, by that morning I was I was hooked and uh, have been fascinated with, with the, the graph with graphic novels or comics for the ever since then really I think when I was well, let's see in my late teens my brother who's, who does art uh, asked me to write a script for him like a graphic novel script so I wrote oh, one man. which has not been made yet maybe maybe he might be making it now but we'll see and then when I finished uni I sort of was in a, like a you know that time when you don't have like you, you don't know where you are you don't know who you are everything seemed like it was a very depressing year yeah mm-hmm. uh, working in a job I didn't like being in a house share that didn't quite work for everybody involved and uh, I sort of went back to this graphic novel and became obsessed with it and like read every graphic novel I could find like the history of comics basically read all the Scott McCloud books read loads of other books around it like was always like because I worked in a library Uh so I could get them all so I was like always ordering like all of the greats I guess all of the like classic things like everything that Scott McCloud mentioned in Understanding Comics and like writing it in the side and then getting those comics I do like to keep the lists of things that you want to read yeah and I sort of like really dived into graphic novels the graphic form then and 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 was yes I mean that was really surprising to me because I had that first kind of wow this is what comics could be with the Watchmen but that's still kind of a superhero comic and it's still like so I suddenly realized that superhero comics could be adult Mm. and I read other stuff by Alan Moore and I thought maybe he's just a one-off and then I read Neil Gaiman but then you know that, that that year of like reading all of these like really diverse things about mm. all sorts of topics like blankets, which is a uh, I can't remember who it's by Craig, Craig Thompson. There you yeah. go, Craig Thompson, which is and that's like a book that you don't no one would realise that that, that that there's comics like that that are about mm. 
being a teenager, being religious, being in love, uh, you know, very personal, um, beautiful things. I hadn't really realised it could go that wide until, you know, yeah, until then. Yeah. Um, yeah it's I an mean, amazing art form because, like you said, people sometimes think of it as unsophisticated, but I think it's one of the most sophisticated art forms you can get because there's so much that you can do with it. Yeah. And, you know, I still see things when I'm reading comics that I'm like, wow, look at that. You know, jagged panels or, you know, yeah. speech bubbles made from the panel edges or, you know, there's always always something interesting matching the words and the meaning with the visuals right. is what the best artists do and it's time as well like panels mm. create time in a way that no other art form does so you, you can see the past and the future spread out in front of you as you're reading the present mm. uh, I think that's something that Scott McLeod talks about but that's something that I find really fascinating in panels like one of the things that blew me away with the Watchmen is that there's pages where like the 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 panels are split, um, and but the background remains the same. But the characters move mm. around on in that background, and 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 it kind of creates this whole idea of them moving through space and time and and stuff. And I was like, wow, uh, I don't remember the X Men doing that. They probably <laughs> did actually, but I was just too young to notice that what they were doing. But I was yeah, yeah. And there's actually kind of words for all those different ways of showing time within panels. And if I had a better memory of my course, which was only a few months ago, I'd tell you what right, they are. There but, are we, yeah. but we learn what all these different ways of using time and stretching time are. But I love that thing where yeah, it's always like one picture, but you see the movement right. through it. Yeah, I'm actually going to give a plug now, if that's okay, yeah, for my course. Please because I thought it was so great and I think if you've got any interest in comics at all even if you don't think you can draw which I didn't think that I could draw I think it's still worth doing this course if you're interested in kind of storytelling the course was at the Prince's Drawing School which is on Charlotte Road in Shoreditch and I think it's called Drawing the Graphic Novel and it's taught by Emily Hayworth Booth who's a comics artist herself and is a fantastic teacher so if you're at all interested I would say like that is the course to do wow. for sure yeah no well. and then you can learn what the words are for things like having a background that a character moves through right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know yeah, there's like the, the gutter or whatever it's called like the bits that go between the panels there's all sorts of words I've, I've yeah. also learnt the words and forgotten them yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what people think about with comics as well is it, it people think of it as quite a gendered art form like because superhero comics are like teenage boys and so they think of it as unsophisticated and male mm. and it's not and uh, one of the things that I've loved about discovering comics is all of the the, the female comic book creators and, mm. and, and reading their stuff but it is one of those art forms that it's it's underrepresented in, in with women and with uh, people of colour, all sorts of people are underrepresented in comics, mm. which is a real shame because comics are, uh, I think, so naturally intuitive. Like the first things we read are kind of comics because they're kids' books. Like I read, I read uh, picture books to children. They're kind of comics. Mm. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I always remember from the Scott McCloud books are he talks about e Egyptian hieroglyphics being mm. comics, and that's something I hadn't thought of before I read that book. And also that when you get onto an aeroplane you get given a comic to read to tell you how to get out <laughs> yeah, if it's a disaster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's so many things that they can be and it sort of seems very unfortunate that culturally we've got this idea that it's just teenage boys and it's just 
action and it's just like stuff that and I'm not saying that women don't enjoy action or, or superhero comics they do some of the really great uh, superhero comic writers like Gail Simone and like people who, who are women but uh, but it's I guess it's interesting that like most people I know who are women who've come to comics come to it much later mm-hmm. than like teenage boys come to it or generally through their, through their teenagers whereas a lot of people I've spoken to who are women have said yeah I was at university and a, a cool guy showed me a book and, and, yeah, and that seems yeah. like quite a kind of archetypal way that, that women find comics these days. Uh, hopefully that will change, hopefully that, yeah, that yeah. is changing. And I was thinking yeah. with both of us having got into it with a friend giving us a comic mm. that they thought we'd enjoy then I think if you like comics or anything you know giving it to other people is really important if, yeah. you, if you think they'd like it. We just gave a copy of Mouse to, ah, um, to my boyfriend's uh, nephew and um, for his bar mitzvah and I'm really hoping that he'll read it and enjoy it yeah that's another yeah. one that changed my my like re, re-changed or re- expanded my idea like that came probably somewhere in between Watchmen and my and my comics year yeah uh, but people sort of think I remember when my dad read Mouse people think of it as a one-off mm-hmm. like that's the thing when they find a really good comic they think well that one's good yeah um, but that's an anomaly somehow but I mean it isn't a, 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 that's a a thing that I've discovered is there's so many great great comics out there. It's still this kind of youngish art form and um, I think people who love it like us can have the impression that other people have got these preconceptions about it being male or being superheroes and I wonder how, I wonder kind of how much other people actually realise, I don't know, how, mu- how much the general population knows culturally about comics and, and right. whether there's kind of been enough breakthrough comics that have changed people's perceptions because like you say that now there are amazing female comic artists and and more people breaking through i went to a thing this week called ladies do comics uh, which is yeah it's fantastic it's like um it's a monthly meetup um i went to the one at foils in london but they've got them all around the world actually and it's run by these two women who are comic artists but also kind of I think academics or have studied academically and put on exhibitions of Mm. mostly female comic artists so they do this meet up that is men can come as well um, and you don't have to do comics to go but it is mainly women who are who are doing comics and they invite artists to show their work in progress and talk about their work in progress which is such a nice thing to see actually people talking about work in progress and their influences and everything and I liked it because at the start they made everyone in the room and there was probably like 40 or 50 people they made everyone in the room introduce themselves say their full name not just their first name because they said a lot of women when they introduce themselves just say their first name I said say your full name and then you had to sort of tell a little story I think it was about the worst or best job you'd, you'd ever had so it meant that everyone introduced themselves and, and then you could talk to people and so they're creating more of a community and opportunities for people to meet each other and network and mm. I think that's really important yeah. yeah I mean I think that with comics the, the frustrating thing is, is, is less the kind of general public's perception which I, I think may be changing like, like you say maybe people may have, have been introduced to enough comics now there's certainly comics you can't say they're, they're not mainstream stream anymore yeah. certainly all of our films at the moment are based on comics yeah, so, true. Uh, so so I mean they're definitely big and they're big money but the thing is that the the industry I think tends to be quite closed to like so all of the really exciting comics that 
we're kind of talking about the kind of genre of independent comics is kind of what we're getting at rather than the the stuff that comes from this the sort of this the comics version of the studio system so mm. you know you do get great stuff from marvel you do get great stuff from dc i some of my favorite comics and in fact you know watchmen came out on that and i think mouse is probably somehow connected to that because once you get big enough you the <laughs> people want want you don't they but but i think generally the problem i find is that that, that they're still trying to sell to those teenage boys Mm. demographic who hey they're a demographic they should be sold to I mean the movies are the same aren't they they're trying to sell all the time to that teenage boy demographic mm -hmm. which means that we get some great blockbusters that I love but not not as much of the kind of exciting interesting sort of juicy films are coming out and I yeah. think there's a similar thing going on in comics I think. yeah it's and I guess when you do a comic it's such a solo endeavour I mean I know you can do it as a group and also you have uh, writers who work with artists right. but usually it's this very solo endeavour and then you get this one viewpoint which I think it often creates the best art whereas mm. a lot of movies are such a collective endeavour that, that any of that interest um, gets sapped from them but I think when, when people make movies from comics then perhaps it keeps some of that individual viewpoint in there. I'm really, really excited for it. Um, there's a comic, again, it was one of the earliest ones that I read, probably given to me actually by the same person who gave me Graffiti Kitchen, which is Potential by Ariel Schrag. Oh, okay. And she was drawing this diary comic when she was 14 and at high school, and I think had it published at about 14, and it talked about, you know, lesbian sex that she was having and all this stuff that I thought, wow, how have you managed to do this and you're still living with your parents? Um, I think she's got a film in the pipeline of it, which is incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see how they'd treat it. Yeah, no, it's re it is always really interesting when those, like um, Ghost World mm -hmm. and American Splendor, the, those kind of things, when they get translated and you don't know, really know how they're going to do it because mm -hmm. of what, what the actual comics began as, you sort of think, how can that really work? Weirdly, some, sometimes the more independent, the more interesting ones, like what we're talking about, they're harder to think of how they would transfer to a screen, whereas the more mainstream, the kind of superhero comics, you can pretty much take them shot by shot in a way, like mm -hmm. comics make sense to adapt into films because they're visual. Yeah, and because they themselves have been influenced by films, so mm. I'm yeah, also yeah, yeah. reading at the moment a novel called Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, which is about two guys who set up their own comics empire back in the sort of 40s, I think, and they are very influenced by film when it comes to creating their comics, so... I guess it's take you know to make a film from comic is almost taking yeah. it back in. So I think film and comics they've got such a lot in common. Yeah. Well, I think the landscape does break down very similar to the way that films like, break down. When you're talking about like them being a very personal and very unique voices, that's kind of like independent films. Mm. And what you've got in in generally in in Marvel and DC is you do have like teams of writers maybe writing different uh, episodes, much more like television. You also have like inkers and you have like people who do the lettering. So like. Like in, in the system, people, the comic book artists maybe do much less mm. uh, of the full kind of thing, and they don't necessarily write the, the words that they're, they're doing. So it's interesting. I mean, that's actually that's the area I think that I get frustrated with. That I I want to see more comics made into television series yeah. uh, than into films. Like maybe like independent one-off comics. They make brilliant films, but most comics series that I've been that I've really enjoyed have been series have been like the Sandman is, yeah. is a series of uh, and uh, they're, they're always they're talking about making a film of uh, a comic that I love called Why the Last Man uh, it's basically about all of the men in the world die at the same time wow. uh, and there's only women left apart from one 
man uh, and uh, so which sounds like uh, heaven but it's not heaven at all for him uh, it doesn't sound like heaven no, for women you know exactly right well no it's not and then that's well that's one of the interesting things one of the things I love about it is like how it breaks down like globally how things would work like the people who have control over the sea are the Australians because they're the only people who have women who go down in their in submarines there aren't women pilots so there's there's, there's not very many women pilots in like so they don't have nobody has airplanes and stuff so they have to go for, on boats and wow. uh, <laughs> the, the, Israel's really strong because they have women in the military and national mm. service so they've got a proper army in place of women whereas nobody else has so there's really interesting kind of social ways it breaks down you, you sort of think how different countries treat like women and in, in, in how that would work if, if the men all went in one uh, fell swoop yeah, wow. um, but it's a great it's a great uh, it's a really great series and the guy the main the main character in it is called Yorick uh, which is kind of funny uh, and um, and his, his, there's a lot of Shakespeare references and stuff it's a really kind of interesting and it's made by Brian K Vaughan who was one of the writers on Lost and stuff like oh, that right. but they're talking about making it into a film mm. and this is really frustrating to me because it's like seven book series like there's seven series they yeah, could do yeah. seven so series that's like an HBO six parter yeah <laughs> and television makes makes much more interesting things to do with character mm. and world and all of these things that, that can be developed which comics do really well yeah. which which you, you lose if you try and make it into a film you know so uh, anyway that's one of my bugbears no, well, just talking about that I was just thinking how interesting it would be to have um, me rattling on for comics um, no it's good, it's good. <laughs> I'm just thinking how interesting it would be to with comics having come having been very influenced by film and then some of the more superhero comics being produced like a film is produced I think with the new kind of television and writers rooms and um, I, w I wonder I wonder whether television could have like a new influence on comics and right. you know some of the frustration with comics is how long they take to produce so you have to wait you have to wait a long time for your favourite comic artists to kind of bring more stuff out and they're so quick to read but I, I guess if you had a team of people like you do on a TV show like Mad Men yeah. whether you know a comic series could be produced that was bigger and, and quicker um, to produce and, and maybe you know, there could be some interesting influences. Well, I think there's definitely side. people going between the two. So, mm -hmm. like, uh, like I say, Brian K. Vaughan, he, he's a TV writer. Yeah. Uh, Joss Whedon has done like a uh, series of Buffy as comics that have followed on from the end, and he also did some some. Uh, he wrote for the X Men for a while. I know Real Shrug. She actually wrote um, some episodes for the L Word as well. well. There you go. So yeah, there's yeah. this big crossover. And it is kind of yeah. They're, they're very they're very definitely they're very similar processes that people mm. go through. I listen to. Uh, a podcast uh, called the Nerdist Writers Panel, which I is love with that. yeah, it's with television writers it's generally, yeah. but they have quite a few episodes now with comics writers, which you, you may have heard or may not have heard. I don't think I've heard. Yeah, there's quite so. a few, so check check them out because there's okay. like six or seven they've been now uh, with like Len Wein, uh, like one of the he's one of the big uh, guys behind uh, DC and Marvel and some of the big big names that people have big superhero names that people have heard. Of. <laughs> he's he's on a lot of those. Episodes. Yeah, I mean, I could talk. I literally could yeah, talk about, could about yeah. for hours. <laughs> but something else I was thinking about talking to you about was mm. you're making a website for a pie company. Yeah. Uh, and the pies are are they meat pies? <laughs> yes. But you're a vegan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is. It's oh yeah. So basically, I met this guy, Tim, a couple of years ago at an event through work. And then he emailed me recently and said, oh, you know, I'm looking to get my website made. Have you got any advice? And 
I immediately said, oh, I could do that for you. And I didn't even really think about the meat content of his pies and the (laughs) vegan content of my principles. And I just immediately sort of offered to do it and was really excited about it. And then... And then I did look at his blog and, and saw that he, he'd done a blog where he went to like the pig farm where he gets his pork from and saw like the pigs roaming free and all of that. So he sources his ingredients in a really nice way. Even though he's a vegan, I still think, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't be eating meat. Um, <laughs> anyway, I kind of like didn't think about the ethics of this until after I'd agreed to do the website and also before I saw... The, the pigs roaming free then I had to sort of question myself and think oh like why as a vegan am I completely happy to make a website for a meat pie company well, what I ended up thinking was I really liked him and, and his partner Holly he also helps him out and I also really like their business the way they go about things I love words and um, Timmy writes really hilarious blogs and interesting copy and has just got a really nice fun loving attitude to his business while it's still very high quality pies and I kind of thought well is this the part of me that loves small businesses independent businesses commercial but cool stuff and also people I think I ended up kind of thinking I think I'm actually putting people before my principles and also why should being you know just because I'm a vegan why should that mean that I only work with vegan companies you know I think as a freelancer you're going to work with lots of different people lots of different companies and they're not always going to have exactly the same values and attitudes as you so I, I don't have a problem with it myself someone's probably going to put my picture on that website that sh- names and shames bad vegans oh yeah um, I've heard of that website yeah actually. yeah let's, I can't remember it's name uh, <laughs> that probably so yeah. <laughs> probably that's a good thing um, yeah I actually uh, don't care <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do I, I mean you know, I I care. I'm a, I'm vegan, so I care about animals. But it's personal responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. you're taking personal responsibility, but you know you're aware that there are levels of different kinds of responsibility. If you eat ethically sourced meat, that's better than not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know the the company that you're that you're supporting in this case is is, is actually a, a an improvement. If you're going mm. by degrees of like improvement. That's an improvement. I'm not a vegan. I'm a uh, meat eater. I'm and I'm still to talking high. to you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I was a vegetarian for a bit when I was growing up, but not 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 long. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I can't really do it. I love meat too much. I really love meat. But um, like, when did you become a vegan? <laughs> um, quite a few years ago, and it happened so suddenly that I don't. I've never remembered what year or what date it was, but it was because I read this novel called Popco by. Um, Scarlett. She wrote the end of Mr. Y as well. Um, I'm so bad at names. Okay. Uh, never mind. Okay. So I, will, I, read, I will. I will Google it and uh, put it and in put the it show in. notes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I feel really bad not knowing that. Anyway, so I read this novel called Popco. What I thought it was going to be was a novel about a woman who worked at a toy company. And because I worked at a toy company, I kind of thought this was going to be intelligent chiclet with a toy company twist. So it was going to be a bit of a fluffy read. Right. And the cover was very kind of pop art. I think it was a girl like with a lollipop. Anyway, I read this novel, and not to spoil it for anyone, but basically the character becomes more and more concerned with kind of capitalism and ethics and is influenced by some vegan characters and at the end she goes vegan and I literally finished reading this book and thought okay I'm going vegan went and bought some rice milk had it on my cereal the next day that was it you know 
and it was just happened overnight and it was really easy and it's been so enjoyable it's vegan vegan food is like a completely different cuisine it's like a different way of cooking and it's a new cuisine so it's really exciting there's always people are always working out different ways of doing things and new recipes and there are some star vegan chefs who absolutely adore like um, Issa Chandra who wrote Veganomicon and Vegan Cupcakes Take Over the World and her recipes are amazing I cook a lot from her and then there's Vegan Yum Yum um, and other sites as well so I feel like I had to sort of learn cooking again from scratch got really into Indian cooking because a lot of Hindus don't eat beef so there's a lot of kind of vegetarian and vegan cooking that goes on in India so I got quite into making curries yeah it's 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 this whole other cuisine and Mm. it's and it's a really kind of fun community and there's always new little businesses popping up like there's this new one called the mighty fork who do vegan hot dogs and this amazing like yellow stand and they have like beer sauce and really great kind of things they put with their hot dogs so yeah it's do you sort of like have, carry that across like do you have like a vegan uh, sense of ethics when you're buying clothes and stuff like that or? I really try to and I'm very aware of like the people ethics behind clothes as well I don't buy leather my uh, my older sister one of my older sister and their family are all vegetarians and uh, the kids have been brought up vegetarian so that's all they know yeah and when I went to visit them in Germany a few years ago I had my leather jacket on and uh, the kids <laughs> kind of realized it was leather and they like they were practically crying they were, like, they were really sad they were like oh, you know. did they shun you no they, they, their love for their uncle was more like 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 your friendship with your with your with your pie making friend <laughs> like, it was enough to sort of make them like turn up like I guess it's like when you realize that people that you like do things that you don't approve of mm-hmm. and then you and have to kind okay. of square that a little bit but then it's okay you can yeah. move on yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'm like that because I'm politically I'm very orientated towards kind of uh, anti-capitalist thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> and obviously we live in a capitalist world and uh, lots of my friends some of my family as well are really like into the idea of making money and how that yeah. works and all that stuff like which is great uh, for them but like I say not not something I exactly approve of, so I have to, I have to square that all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's okay to love people who do things you don't you don't personally like or approve of. Yeah, that's still okay. I wanted to just go back to the meat Surely pie I thing. Kind of there was, you. No, 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 no. There was one more thing that I wanted to say about that, which is that I've asked Timmy to make a vegan pie, and I think that sometimes it's better to kind of get involved with people who've got different values from you and you can try and influence change them. the system from yeah, within yeah. yeah and that's my view like maybe not so much now because i've been vegan for several years and i just it's just part of my life now i'm not don't really go around trying to evangelize about it but if i do talk to people about being vegan my attitude isn't to like berate them for eating meat it's more to show like maybe I'll bring a really delicious vegan cake to a party and then people will eat it and think differently um, and with, like, with working with a meat pie company you know, I'm saying oh here's some ideas for how you can make a vegan pie he's realising that the only thing he really needs to change is like, the butter in his pastry which right. he can sub- substitute really easily my hope is that he's going to make a vegan pie and then you know, I'll have done my bit for veganism yeah. well, there's, um, a, there's a market for that pie as oh well. yeah, so there's a fantastic it's, vegan it's market it's a sensible business decision for him to yeah, sort yeah. of branch out into vegan and there are, some, there are some vegan food companies that are not run by vegans they're run by people who realise that this is a niche market and it's growing and it's a good business opportunity yeah. um, which as a vegan you kind of go hmm well, well it's interesting yeah. that sort of thing I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day and the 
three founders of OKCupid, they're all married and they've never done internet dating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, they know something about finding, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, yeah, they, it's interesting yeah. uh, that people sort of see a, a niche and it doesn't necessarily, mm. it's not necessarily a niche they need filled it's a niche that they see other people need filled and that's yeah yeah well some people like happen. business and and they just you know and you're just looking for a business opportunity like my friend just bought a vintage watch website company of someone to run and it's not because he loves watches it's just because he wanted to run a, a, a small business, business. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's cool that's fine yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, what was interesting when I was hearing the guy from OkCupid talk about it, I thought was interesting is that really what he's into is the data, is mm. the ana 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 analyzing the data and working out how it works. And the kind of business is a kind of secondary thing that kind of came around that. So there's that, that you definitely get that in business as well. You get people who, because they have a passion for something, they end up making something else for other people as well. Yeah. yeah, and dating websites are kind of at the forefront of technology, trying to understand us as human right, beings right, right. Um, and what makes us tick and what makes us get on together. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not yeah. that I know about that because I've been with my boyfriend for 10 years. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know, I know what you mean. It's, 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 it's interesting. Like, I've been with uh, my partner for mm, 12, 12, 13 oh, years. Oh, wow. And... Uh, <laughs> Like it's, it's definitely interesting that, that, that this whole kind of culture of uh, the internet, meeting people through the internet has kind of happened during the time that I've been mm. in this long-term relationship. Yeah. And the same with you, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes you feel ignorant of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this very distant thing. Or, you know, talk to friends who are doing it and hear all these stories and think, well, it sounds really interesting. And it sounds more like an experience than sometimes a... a actual opportunity for forming a lot lasting relationship but well, I, know, I know a lot of people have formed more a lasting relationship people have you know, yeah more, more, it, maybe it's I, just my friends it's definitely <laughs> moving towards a place where it's not a stick there's less stigma. oh yeah there's no stigma there's, to it i mean i've heard people like you know who work in my like working nurseries that i work in just talking about it at the counter like mm. very casually about you know it's got it's got to a stage where you know if you like it's, it's quite mainstream everybody's yeah, on yeah. there Although that probably makes it scary if you are on there, because if everybody's on there, then you might get found by anybody that you know. Right? Yeah, I think people often see people that they know or, or, or people who've been out with their friends right. and things like that. So, so were you ever evangelical about veganism then? I guess, like, maybe a couple of years in, I read a lot of philosophy around veganism that included... I don't know, including stuff, stuff about zoos, which really put me off zoos um, from an ethical standpoint. I really don't agree with zoos. And also talks about how vegans talk to non-vegans and what the, best, what, what the best attitude to take is that would spread veganism. And I thought, well, that, that's got to be a kind of positive attitude that shows how easy it is, shows how fun it is, and it doesn't put people off. So um, I guess I would sort of, yeah, make more food to take to things and, and talk to people, but... I don't know, I don't, I don't seem to be talking to people that much about it these days. And I don't know if that's because veganism's become a bit more normal during the time, during the time I've been vegan. I think when I first went vegan, it felt like this weird thing that no one else was doing and you couldn't get vegan food in any shops. Whereas now, I think it's become more mainstream. And I think people like me are kind of part of that. I remember writing a blog that was like my top 10 vegan things you could buy at the corner shop, like bourbon biscuits are vegan particular brand of chocolate and then my friend commented and said strike one for mainstream veganism and the, I don't know that comment's always stuck in my head I feel like I'm I'm striking out for mainstream veganism you know 
I'd consider myself quite a normal person not you know people might have an idea of vegans as, you know the old muesli yogurt knitting I do all those things kind of crusty, crusty <laughs> person um, yeah the one thing I don't have is dreadlocks yeah so hopefully I can change pe- I'm part of changing perceptions and yeah. part of a, it as a growing movement and the thing for you I guess with it is that it's like immoral I guess to eat others creatures with brains or like I think it's the mass I think it's the mass meat production industry and the Mm. way animals get treated within that I think is if you examine that you know it's it's shocking it's awful it's it's really inhumane yeah sure Um, I mean I'm I'm not a fan of the industrialized farming practices that capitalism creates absolutely yeah exactly (laughs) so it's it's that stuff and then I think it's I think it's really hard to eat meat and avoid that unless you're really careful. Oh, you can't. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I, I don't. Eat, I mean, I sometimes eat ethical meat, but I know that a lot of the meat I'm, you know, certainly if if you ever buy a burger from a burger van, that is not ethical. <laughs> no, no. Um, and then with but the it da- is tasty. with the dairy side of it, um, it was real. I'd been vegetarian for a few years, and it was realizing that actually the dairy industry is as bad yeah. as the meat industry and in some cases worse because the animals are living through this process of, of being farmed for their eggs and their milk and so I kind of began to feel that, vege- that vegetarian wasn't enough and that you know, the ethics behind me being a vegetarian were the ethics that should lead me to be vegan. Right, and I can understand that because it is, I mean, as, again, it's it's a pretty brutal farming process that gets us our milk and our eggs. And yeah, like yeah, really brutal. And there was a really good documentary on Radio 4 the other day that looked at veganism as it is now. And they said something interesting about the word vegetarian and the word vegan. Vegan being just the start and the end of vegetarianism. And, and as a vegetarian, you should be aiming to be vegan. I know that's hard for a lot of people and most people go, oh, I couldn't give up cheese. I found cheese really easy to give up. <laughs> I, I thought I'd miss cheese. I, like, I did love it. That's but. like the state. I, I don't think there's a day goes by I don't eat cheese. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cheese. yeah. I put cheese on all my, all my food. You know, I used to just grate it over every meal. But now I put I don't want to put people off, but I put this stuff called Engavita on, on my food now, which is a bit like Parmesan, and it's actually yeast flakes. It's really healthy, it's really good for you. It looks like fish food, but it tastes cheesy. But you can get really good vegan cheese now. You couldn't for years, I would try it and it'd be really salty and gross, but now there is a couple of brands who do really amazing vegan cheese, and I know how to make a really wicked vegan cheese sauce. I can make macaroni cheese and lasagna and you can make whatever you like, you know, and make it vegan nowadays. It kind of works. One of my macaroni cheese is definitely one of my favourite meals. So you can have toad in the hole, like with sus mix, sausage. Yeah, and I, I, made I used to have before, that when yeah. I. My dad was a vegetarian for a bit, so I, 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 you can have nice, quite nice, vegetarian or vegan toad in the hole. Yeah. But the other of my favourite, like desert island meals, though, is like a fry up, and that pretty much you can't do that vegan. I mean, I don't think you can get a fake in bacon. You can. I've <laughs> eaten it. It's fine. I used to go to a ve- vegetarian cafe sometimes and eat their breakfast, and it yeah. was fine. But it's not a fried breakfast. No, no, it's not the there's, same. There's thing, no, yeah. uh, there's no um, black pudding, or <laughs> that is very unvegan. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I'm sure, I'm sure there's a recipe on the internet for vegan black pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it'll use. Probably tofu. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's more like a white pudding. Yeah, well, you can get white pudding as well. I'm not sure what exactly is in that for the meat version, <laughs> but you can definitely get white pudding. I've, I've had that deep fried in, in Edinburgh a few years ago. Wow. It's been really 
uh, easy conversation to have oh, um, and it feels like we could have e- easily just chatted away yeah, about yeah. M- many topics and there's probably things I've missed that uh, you know I'll, I'll as I get to know you in the fu- in future months I'll be like why did I not know <laughs> that to talk to her about so maybe I'll have to get you back again if, if that does ha- does happen that way because Sonia is a regular Spark London storyteller and Spark London record all of our storytellers when they come and tell stories on our stage I had the opportunity to catch a few of the things that I missed. And here are two stories which she shared at Spark. For more true stories, go to www.sparklondon.com. So I did a lot of dancing at university and not much of anything else. And in my third year, I had a really enormous room that was probably the size of all my other university rooms put together, probably the ones after two, um, with a really big scratchy blue carpet and yellow and orange walls. In my third year as well, I was a music editor on the student paper, which was extremely cool. Slightly less cool when you know that there were three other editors as well, because I think the people deciding who was going to edit the music section thought we were all really weird flaky so there needed to be four of us in order to just get one page of music reviews out every week Um, I think they were quite right as well Two of my fellow editors were called Oliver and Fiona. And one night we went out and we had a really great time, lots of drinking, lots of dancing. We wanted to carry on. So I said, oh, I've got a full bottle of Archers back in my room. Let's go back there. (laughs) Um, So we went back to my scratchy blue room. I, Even though I was kind of this music editor and I was into all this cool music, I also was obsessed with 80s female pop. um, And I'd bought... Madonna's entire back catalogue on vinyl um, and all Whitney's as well and all of Janet's um, <laughs> I can actually remember being in this record shop um, and saying to my friend oh no that white label Sarah Records rare thing you have that because I'm getting Madonna's first album <laughs> so um, I had this seven inch Paula Abdul opposites attract I think we all know the tune. So what we did was put the record player on, put opposites of tracked on. I think I had one of those record players where you can repeat things, just line it up, plays forever, and turn the lights out, put candles all over the floor, got the archers out, drinking the archers, just stuff all over the place. And me and Oliver and Fiona just danced and just went crazy to Paula Abdul over and 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 over again. Um, <laughs> so after about an hour of Opposites Attract, um, Oliver kind of slumped on the floor and he went, I'm really tired. Um, um, and you don't get tired at that age, so we were like, what's wrong? Um, <laughs> and um, he said, um, something hurts, uh, maybe my foot? Um, so I put the light on um, and we had a look at his foot and... Um, his uh, sock was a different colour <laughs> to the other one because um, uh, it was kind of covered in blood. Um, and I looked around the room and the blue carpet wasn't blue anymore. It was covered in blood and candle wax um, and broken glass. So in our dancing, we'd obviously smashed a glass and he had danced onto it. Onto it. Now he was like lying there, blood all over the room, blood all over his foot and a really deep cut on his toe. 
So first thing is you always want to get your deposit back. So Fiona said, I know a good way to get blood out of carpet. You just put salt down and blood just comes straight out of any fabric. So I went downstairs and probably had one of those like student packs of salt, like really massive. I took it into the room and just... <laughs> basically like crop dusted my carpet with salt um, and then we turned to Oliver um, and I was like well, I don't have any plasters you don't have a first aid kit you know you don't do a risk assessment as a student so um, Fiona said I think I've got some at my house so let's wrap his foot in toilet roll and then we'll all go and sleep at my house and I've got a plaster and we'll all be fine. Um, so we did that. Lots and lots of toilet roll, probably some masking tape or something. Um, and then like hobbled a few streets down to Fiona's house and all slept in her bed. Great night. Um, so next morning I get up, don't ask what time, um, and, you know, just went straight to kind of lectures and stuff or probably straight to the student paper and like wrote some weird review. Um, and... Um, yeah, and then like later that day, um, I think I got home at about five o'clock, opened the door, and my housemate Hannah went, where have you been? I thought you'd been murdered. Because <laughs> this was before mobile phones, like some of my cooler friends had pagers, but that's all. Um, so basically she'd, come, she'd woken up or come back to the house um, and, you know, where Sonia, where Sonia, and like opened my bedroom door and seen this room just covered in blood and I was nowhere to be seen um, so she just thought I'd been murdered um, and yeah and then a couple of days later I was um, at the student paper office and I saw Oliver and I was like oh how are you he's like yeah I'm okay um, I went to the hospital today and this was literally 48 hours afterwards so the nurse said I really should have come in earlier um, and that I nearly lost my toe and, you know, and showed me actually like he'd had to have some stitches and all that stuff done. Yeah, I don't know what the moral is, but it's a pretty good night. <laughs> um, I wasn't planning to tell this story tonight, so we'll see how it comes out. About seven years ago, my mum passed away and that was a scary time. And she has quite a difficult family they're over in Holland, she's Dutch, and um, she's got two sisters and a brother. Um, and just to give you an example of how they all were not speaking to each other at different times, and it was very antagonistic and they never got on. While my mum was um, ill and dying, one of them um, that was so upset that she wasn't communicating with them enough um, because she was actually so tired that um, they wrote her a letter which when she opened it and drew uh, the paper out, it was printed and it said, you're going to die. And her relationship with all of her siblings was so bad that I didn't know which one of them had sent it. So um, that's just to get the bit of the picture across. So anyway, after she died and it was the funeral um, and I thought it was one of my aunts who'd sent the letter. So all the siblings came over for the funeral. They all um, got the ferry across from Holland and I found myself strangely in a similar position to my mum. I didn't want to speak to my aunt because I thought she'd sent this letter. Um, my mum's brother, he'd done something bad as well, and I didn't, didn't want to speak to him either. And then the third aunt, that was okay. She was all right, so I spoke to her. Um, but I even had an incident where my aunt wanted to speak to me, and she grabbed my arm, and she's quite strong, she's quite well-built, and I just remember that feeling of her hand on my arm and me just pulling away, and I really didn't want to speak to her at all. Um, anyway, so... 
fast forward a few years and I wanted to still have a relationship with the Dutch side of my family and especially my grandma so I was going over and this aunt lived very close to my grandma so I had to kind of see her in order to see my grandmother um, whenever I went over so for me it was a kind of you know holding it together and trying to put a brave face on and be nice to this person who I didn't actually approve of or like so once I was over there and I was at my aunt's house and she said oh um, we never showed you the photos from uh, the ferry when we came over for your mum's funeral I was thinking why would I want to see those Um, and she got them up on screen and um, made me flick through and I flicked through them all and they were just photos of the sea and photos of them playing a card game on the ferry and she said no you're not looking closely enough look and then I looked closer and well actually she had to point it out because it was so vague but on one of the pictures in the sea there was this little white blob and she said that's your mum that's Joyce And I said, okay, thinking, that's a seagull. And then on another picture as well, I think maybe them playing cards and, you know, there was another kind of blob in the air and she said, look, that's Joyce, that's your mum. And I just went, yeah, okay. So maybe on about three or four of these photos, there was something slightly freaky, but nothing that you would spot if it was, say, any other incident from life that you were taking photos of. So then I stood in the kitchen with my aunt and we had more of a chat and she freaked me out a bit more by telling me that my granddad, like her dad, was a philanderer and she wouldn't be, you know, she wouldn't be surprised if there were like more siblings in the family. I was like, no, three is enough to deal with. Please don't let there be any more than that. So this was kind of turning into a bit of a strange evening at her house. And then I was sitting in the lounge and she was in the backyard And she called, Sonia, Sonia. And I was thinking, oh, what is it this time? I went into the kitchen and she was standing there in the back door and she had this big black crow on her shoulder. And she said, "Um, this is is your (laughs) mum. And I was really shocked. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, this crow comes to the yard almost every day and it sits on my shoulder and I feed it. And she had this little sort of, Uh, seeds and she was feeding it and she said and this is your mum you know look you can tell (laughs) and you know what like I looked closely it did actually look a bit like my mum anyway this this completely freaked me out the next night we went back to her house again and um, she started telling me that um, my mum was haunting their house. She said, you know, the lights are always flickering and um, chairs are always moving. When we go upstairs to sleep, you know, when we come back down in the morning, everything's moved. And when I put things away, they're not where I left them. I was thinking, right, OK, OK. Um, so she had two daughters, my cousins, um, teenagers, and I really bonded with them over things like teen fiction and like telly. Um, so it's kind of good that I'm still about 15 at heart. And um, so we got excited and said, let's all go and see Twilight together. Um, and I was like, yes, I'm going to get out of this weird house with these weird birds and like weird photos and haunting things. And I'm going to go to the cinema with my cousins and see Twilight. So... Um, just before the film started, I thought, well, I know, I can ask my cousins if, if their mum is crazy. Um, so I turned to my cousins and I said, oh, by the way, you know, your mum said some weird things and she thinks that my mum's haunting your house. And they went, yeah. <laughs> um, and they said exactly the same things as she had said. Um, so 
yeah, that was that. This year I went back again and um, my aunt was still saying, oh, you know, your mum's still haunting the house, the lights are still flickering. I was thinking, yeah, bad electrics, why don't you just get an electrician? And, um, and then she told me that she had been in a coma a year or two beforehand, uh, which I hadn't known much about. Um, she went in for an operation and she ended up in a coma. And um, I'd just seen a documentary film called The Man Whose Mind Exploded, which was about a guy who'd been in four comas and had basically no memory left. Um, and so my aunt said, you know, my short-term memory is really, really bad. Um, but your mum's um, still haunting. When I put things down, they, they're moved. They've gone later. Um, and so I guess there's no conclusion to this story apart from that I've been in a house a lot of times and nothing's ever happened. The crow apparently has stopped coming and I don't know whether it's her coma talking or if there's some truth in it and I guess I'm still quite scared. Uh, the last question that I ask people is, uh, do you have anything to plug, which is interesting. Uh-huh. You've done a bit of that already, but that's okay. Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like I've plugged it like quite a lot of stuff already just by talking about what I'm doing at the moment. Um, no. <laughs> I'm not going to plug anything. Yeah, I mean, I should say one of the things that people have done with that plug question is they sort of winded it out to a bit more like a, this is something I'd like to sort of say about, like, if, I, if, I, if you're talking to an audience, is there something that you'd like to, to say? To I guess people um, have sort of gone much deeper than I expected at times with the plugging <laughs> question so now I kind of feel like I have to let people know that that's the op- there's an option that you can do that so, yeah. so it's like you can say something to the world yeah um, I guess what I'd say is as someone who's left a full-time job recently I was really scared and didn't know what I was actually going to do um, I just want to say it's totally okay and and also I when I did that I thought it was this socially unacceptable thing because you were supposed to plan what to do and have another job in place before you left a job um, but uh, I've just been reading a book for the School of Life called How to Find Fulfilling Work and they say in that it's best to act now act now and reflect later um, and so I'd say if you want to leave a job and you know work out what you want to do and do your own thing um it's totally fine just go for it yeah well that's great uh act now and what was it reflect later act now reflect later yeah i like that although i'm sure that there are probably examples of that being a really bad decision yeah But, I mean, it hasn't been a bad decision for you, has it? I mean, no, and no. So that's a great thing to, to know. I mean, it must have been, you, you were quite like, because the Spark story I first, well, not first, I probably heard you do other stories, but the one that I remember most recently was a story about giving up mm-hmm. uh, your job and finding a kind of new new way into the world. And that's kind of what you're generally doing in all your projects. Yeah, moment, yeah. Sort of finding that new way in. Yeah. I mean, it must have been scary, though, doing it. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive to, like you say, all, all the things we're told about how to how to uh, be employed people like Mm. you must always work and you must always you know it doesn't matter if you enjoy the job making the money is the most important thing I mean even though you're interested in commercial things clearly you've made a a decision that was not not financially based at Mm. all yeah 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 Um, yeah I guess for me it was just uh, wanting to just knowing that I'd always been into kind of writing and even though I was doing a lot of writing in my job, it was wanting to explore that a bit more and make that more of the focus of my life. Um, 
which is hard to it's hard when you're working to do anything if you've got a full-time job it's hard to do anything outside of that I don't know how people do it yeah and um, I'm I'm not one of those people who can have 10 projects going outside of a full-time job no. and remain sane so um it's pretty hard yeah I've now got a part-time <laughs> job so I can I can do it now but there is a potentially end I might end up going back to a full-time job in the future and that will I'm not looking forward to trying mm. to to, mix, to to marry those two things. Yeah, because you're doing such exciting things. Yeah, um, and lots for yourself. of them as well. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. thing. Like you say, the more projects you have, the harder it is to have a full-time job. Yeah, right and I realise that um, you know people in jobs have got, or everyone's got ambitions, and I kind of realised that most people in full-time work. Even the really ambitious, career-minded people, most people's ambition is to go part-time. Yeah, um, right. You know, talking to a, to a lot of people, you know, it's not about developing your career or, or having a higher status. I think part of wanting the higher status is to then have the freedom to go part-time. Right. Um, I think what people really want is time for themselves. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, what people... People who have well-paid well jobs want time, and people who have uh, not well-paid jobs want uh, time and money. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, certainly we all want time. Mm. I mean, the, the, I think the frustr like, that's why I always, I'm always, a, yeah, I always think this about what the way, world of work. Everybody would like to go, generally speaking, you're right, I think, everybody would like to work less hours, go part-time. Mm. There's all these people who don't have jobs. And if everybody could just all work part-time, then wouldn't that double the amount of people who could have jobs? Yeah, I and mean, there's know. actually been a big economic study on that by one of the think tanks that actually looked at whether if people were employed for less hours, would more people be employed? Would the economy generally be better? And um, their answer was yes. So uh, I think... Well, there we go. Yeah. If, if You're onto something there, yeah. Dave. Well, <laughs> there we go. If only, but you know, it's, it's it's one thing to be onto something, and it's another thing for uh, mm, to make it go government or uh, workplace policy. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed it will. Uh, I don't know. If, I, I doubt very many influential people are listening to this conversation, but <laughs> if know. they are, make it happen. Uh, yeah, and that's, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted. Oh, with it's you. been an absolute pleasure for me as well. Thank you. And the last thing I ask my guests to do is just to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Since this episode was recorded, I have in fact stopped part-time work altogether, although that wasn't entirely through choice. And now I'm also a freelancer. For more about that, go to www.davepickeringstoryteller.com. I am absolutely open to commissions. Find Sonia on Twitter and Instagram, where she is in both cases at Sonia Todd, S-O-N-J-A, and it's T-O-D-D. One of the things that Sonia does is she runs the social media for Spark London. Follow them on Twitter at SparkLDN or like them on Facebook. And she writes a mean newsletter too, so go to www.sparklondon.com and sign up to her mailing list. It's a good time to do that as it will keep you up to date about the storytelling events we have coming up. For example, on Monday the 9th of June, the open mic that I host every month at the Hackney Attic is happening. And the theme for that night is Father Figures, and we're being joined by The Letter Lounged. On Monday, the 16th of June, previous Getting Better Acquainted guest, Radcliffe Royds, will be hosting the open mic that he hosts monthly at the Ritzy Cinema in Brixton. 
and the theme that night is Reality Check. Then, on Friday the 4th of July, Spark London is teaming up with the American podcast Risk, whose host Kevin Allison has also been a previous Getting Better Acquainted guest, so have a listen back to that to get an idea of what his show has in store for us. It's going to be a really excellent night, and I will probably be telling a really revealing story at it. Quite X-rated, in fact, not safe for work. And then on Monday the 7th of July, we have our next Best of Spark London Night. At those nights, we record the Spark London podcast, which can be found on iTunes, Mixcloud, and on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. You can find Getting Better Acquainted in those places too. Just as you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast and on Facebook where you can like it. The email address if you want to get in contact with me for anything is gbapodcast at gmail.com. There are loads of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>